Um, now we will have scripture reading taken from the book of 1 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 21, and verses 31 to 33. Um, if you are using the Pew Bibles, that is page 269. So you can turn to your Bibles or turn to your devices for the scripture. It will also be behind on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 21. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zuriai, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Jittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will, go also, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, you shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while, at the army marched, while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Ibishai and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard what the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. But Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, what, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you 10,000 pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a 1,000 pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Ibishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel. For Joab restrained them, and they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set, him, set up for himself the pillar that is the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. 
And Joab said to him, you are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Verses 31 to 33. And behold, the Cushite came and Cushite said, Good news for my lord, for the king. Good news for my lord, the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. The king said to Cushite, It is is it well with my is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king, all who rise up against you for evil, be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? O Absalom, my son, my son. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, Now I'd like to welcome up um, Seminarian Paul Kang for the sermon today. Thanks. Good morning, Crossbridge. It's good to see you guys uh, this morning. Um, It's been a while uh, for me. Uh, My wife and I, uh, my family, and our daughter, Eden, we've been in California for the past couple months, uh, just spending time with some family. Um, And I'm here briefly uh, to do an intensive course right now at Gordon-Conwell. So I'm here. I'm excited to share God's word with you uh, this morning. yeah, I trust that the Lord uh, will speak to us uh, through his word. It's not an easy word. Um, it, it, it is a heavy word. Um, but I trust that he'll show us his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy uh, today. It seems like every other week we hear news of a major Christian leader, someone whom we've learned from, Someone whom we've looked up to and we've trusted for several years fall into sin. We hear stories of adultery, abuse, fraud, and substance addiction. How do we respond when we hear these stories? Many of us are shocked and we're in disbelief. We feel betrayed and ashamed. Sure, we can expect these things to happen from unbelievers, but believers? Leaders in the faith? Perhaps some of us have even grown numb to hearing these stories. Maybe we even think to ourselves now, of course, of course this happened. And we expect to hear these news now. Maybe more than the sin itself, perhaps what's more devastating are the consequences that follow. Families being torn apart, 
churches dividing and disintegrating, people processing the hurt and the trauma that they've experienced in an abusive environment, skepticism towards faith, towards organized religion, deconstruction and people trying to figure out on what grounds their faith can stand. Real pain and real confusion happen when a leader falls into sin. And I want you to know that that grieves God's heart. I want to repeat that. Real pain and real confusion happens when a leader falls into sin. And that grieves God's heart. Last week, we examined how David, man after God's own heart, God's anointed king of Israel, sinned horrendously with Bathsheba and Uriah. So what can we learn from this? How does our text today warn us about the nature of sin? Here's what we can learn. First, sin has real consequences. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, I'll give you a moment to flip there um, in your Bibles. This is the word that the prophet Nathan gave uh, to King David when he rebuked him for his sin against Bathsheba um, and Uriah. So if you'll read with me. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you and out of your own house. And I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And you shall lie with your wives in the side of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So I want you to notice specifically in verse 10. Nathan says that the sword shall never depart from your house. And in verse 11, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Nathan here is prophesying the consequences of David's sin. And do we see these things come into fruition? Do these things actually happen? These horrible consequences that Nathan tells David will happen. If you look with me, our passage today covers chapters 13 through 19. And I've listed for you all of the consequences that occurred following David's sin that fulfilled Nathan's prophecy. I know it's heavy, but I want you guys to let this sink because this really happened to David and his family. In chapter 13, David's eldest son, his own son, first in line to the throne, he rapes his half-sister, Tamar. A few verses later, you see that David's third eldest son, Absalom, another one of his sons, 
brother to Tamar, he murders Amnon. He waits a few years, he's angry with what happened to Tamar, and he kills Amnon. At the end of the chapter, Absalom flees to Geshur. In chapter 15, we see Absalom planning a conspiracy against David, his own father. So he plans a conspiracy to take over the throne, David's own son. David's forced to flee Jerusalem. And in chapter 18, as we've read this morning, Absalom is killed in battle against David's men. And that's where we see David's response. Even though his own son conspired against him, what is his response? Oh, my son, my son. Absalom, would I, would that I have died instead of you? Oh, my son, my son. The reality of pain, especially when it comes to disaster, to calamity occurring in your own family, hits deep. We also see this in Genesis 3, when we've fallen into sin, Adam and Eve, what was the first and initial consequence of our sin? We were completely separated from God. And the sin that, that still reigns rampant today, it's, it can all be traced back to what happened in Genesis 3. And even in the Old Testament, right, all throughout the Old Testament, you see God's people sinning again and again and again, committing idolatry, being disobedient to God. And what are the consequences of those sins? They receive judgment, they wander in the wilderness, they're taken into exile. What about in the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about the reality of sin and its consequences? Romans 6.23a, for the wages of sin is death. Did you know that? The value, the price of our sin, our disobedience, it's actually death. James 1, 14 through 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so this verse spells out for us that it all starts with desire. A selfish desire, a desire that is not in submission to the will of God. So pay attention to your desires. What are you allowing to fester in your hearts that could potentially give birth to sin? And if unrepented, this could eventually leave or bring forth death. So we've looked at sin, the reality of its consequences, the destruction that it can cause. It might be helpful, though, to define sin. What exactly is sin, right? It seems like something that uh, we should, you know, be able to easily define, but sometimes it cannot be so simple. Um, so, John Piper actually defines sin as any feeling or thought or speech or action 
that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. In the bottom of sin, the root of all sinning is such a heart, a heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that does not treasure God over all other persons and all other things. So Pastor John Piper is saying that everything stems from your heart. Any desires, any feeling, any action that stems from something that's going on in your heart that is more important than God's honor, God's glory. Even in Proverbs 4, you see that it says to guard your hearts, to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So it's really important to pay attention to what's going on in your heart because that's where everything flows out of. Now, how many of us like ice cream? Anybody? Okay, a few of you, I see. <laughs> um, my, wife, my wife and I, personally, I am not much of a dessert or a sweets person, but when it comes to ice cream, we both enjoy it and we love it. And we didn't even realize this until we moved here in Massachusetts, but ice cream is kind of a big deal in Massachusetts. Like, all these, like, farm-to-table or farm-to-shop, like, ice cream shops, and they're just, like, absolutely delicious. Um, all that to say, how many of you guys are lactose intolerant? Okay, there's a good amount of you as well. Or maybe you know somebody who's lactose intolerant. So I want you to think of this picture, this analogy that I've come up with. Think of sin and its consequences, like someone with lactose intolerance deciding to just eat ice cream anyways, even despite the results, the diarrhea, the gas, right, the nausea, whatever might occur, because it tastes so good, they, like, they tell themselves, it's okay, I'm just going to have it, right? And so sin and its consequences is kind of like that. It's not going to be good. The results are sure, they're certain. They're, it's not going to be good for you. So even though it might seem sweet and pleasurable at the time, the smart thing to do is to not go for it. <laughs> and so we've looked at sin, some of its consequences, but how, what do consequences look like in the day-to-day? -day? So consequences, for one, can be personal, right? Maybe you feel guilt, shame, uh, condemnation because of something that you've done in secret or something that you've done in disobedience to the Lord. Consequences can also be spiritual, right? Feeling this distance uh, from the Lord, uh, feeling uh, like you've, you know, disobeyed him or rejected him in the things you've done, and maybe you feel um, far from him. It can also be social, right? We're aware of our history, right, in America uh, with slavery, and um, the consequences of that sin was creating this structure that was evil, and consequences, of course, can also be eternal. Right? Think about that. The reality of our sin and its consequences ultimately is about our relationship 
as sons and daughters, our relationship or as unbelievers with God. And sin unrepented, sin that hasn't been paid for, will ultimately result in eternal separation from God. All right, so what's the proper response to sin? I've like laid it heavy on you, all the, the, the results of sin, just how devastating it can be. So what's the proper response when we feel tempted? What's the proper response when we're wrestling and we're fighting against these temptations? Flee. It's simple. God calls us to flee. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 to 14. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So just like Joseph, if you remember the story, fled from Potiphar's wife when he was being tempted, we too are called to flee from those places that tempt us, that that call us to be disobedient to the Lord's commands and to what the Lord has for us. But thankfully, we're not called to do this alone. We have one another. We have our families. We have fellow believers in Christ. We have this church to walk alongside us in our desire to be victorious over sin. James 5.16 says to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The result of confessing to one another, to sharing with with one another, walking with one another, is healing. It's for your good. It's for our good. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I remember when I was serving um, in Youth with a Mission um, in Kona for a number of years a while back. Uh, during the first few years of my um, time there, I remember I actually wrestled with a lot of doubt and unbelief. And during that time, it was something that I kept to myself and I just struggled with alone. And so I would feel this anguish, I would feel unworthy, I would feel ashamed. And after a number of years, after actually three whole years, by the grace of God, I was able to share with a trusted friend. And the moment I was able to do that, I experienced, I experienced this breakthrough I finally experienced this breakthrough that changed this this posture that I had in my heart towards doubt and unbelief. So let's ask God to search our hearts so that we could take steps towards repentance and faith. So we've seen that sin has real consequences. It tempts us. It wants to destroy us. It wants to destroy you. It wants to destroy us internally, relationally, and spiritually. 
If we were left to our own devices, sin would win the battle every single time. But there is an even greater truth. There's a truth that wins the war against sin. And what is that truth? God remains faithful, even in our sin. I want to say that again. God remains faithful, even in our sin, even in our failures, our disobedience, our rejection. If you look at this passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, this is what we call the Davidic covenant. This is a promise that God gave to David before he committed any of the sins with Bathsheba and Uriah. So if you'll read with me, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he, com- when he commits iniquity, I'll discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, God, he had every right to end David's kingship. He had every right to end his lineage. Instead, he chooses to remain faithful to his promise. How does he do that? How does he remain faithful to what you see in these verses? That his kingdom, your throne, shall be established forever. It's actually through the birth of Solomon. And if you guys know, Solomon was birthed from Bathsheba, whom David committed this sin with. And what does that mean? Through that line of Solomon, through the line Bathsheba, Jesus was born. This is scandalous grace. This is scandalous grace. God can redeem anything. That's the truth that we see all throughout the scriptures. That even in our sin, God remains faithful. And what better example to look at than the cross? The greatest scandal in history. God's own son sent to die for your sins, 
for my sins. God's own son sent to hang on that cross to pay for our, the consequences of our sin. That's where we see the truth that sin has real consequences, but that God remains faithful even in our sin. Some of you might think that you've gone too far, that you've sinned too much for God to love you or use you. Some of you are hung up on something that's happened years ago and you think that you're being punished for it now. I need you to hear me. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God works all things, all things, your sin, your brokenness, your weakness, your shame, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And so we've seen that God, that sin has real consequences. Unrepented sin leads to death. But God remains faithful even in our sin. If I can ask the worship team to come up um, and you can begin playing. As we sing our song of response today, I want us to do two things. One, let us come to God in repentance for the ways that we've sinned against him. Have you been harboring bitterness against somebody who's committed a wrong against you? Have we given in to lust? Have we been coveting those who have more than us or looking down on those who have less? Have we been loving him, loving God, with only our minds and not the fullness of our hearts, souls, and strength? Have we not been loving our neighbors as ourselves? Let's come to him in repentance and ask for forgiveness. Number two, let's thank God for his grace. Let's thank him for his goodness and his faithfulness for providing a way through the cross of Jesus Christ for paying for all of our sins, our shame, our brokenness. And let's thank him for being more faithful than we can even think or imagine. Psalm 51 behind me is the prayer that David prayed to God after he committed his sins with Bathsheba and Uriah. Let's ponder on these words as we sing in response.